What if Jesus meant that we should love our actual neighbors? This is a question posed in Dave Runyon's book, The Art of Neighbor. And it's a question that every Christian needs to wrestle with. Neighborhoods are much more than a collection of houses and apartments, brick and mortar. They're a collection of people and of potentially life-giving relationships. We all have the need for genuine community, and nothing beats the frequency, availability, and spontaneity of connecting with those who live, work, and play near us. Can you imagine the impact if the Christians in each neighborhood in our county took up the challenge to shine the light of Christ in their neighborhood? During the month of October, five churches across 10 locations will join together to issue this very challenge as we offer practical teaching on the art of neighboring. Join us at Christ Community Church in Erie, PA. McLean Church in Edinburgh, Erie, or Union City. Erie First in Summit. Relevant Church in Cory. Grace Church in McCain, Harbor Creek, and Girard. Well, good morning. good morning. I am not one of any of those five people, if you're trying to figure that one out, okay? So, good morning. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm here today. I have the honor of today being able to start off this new series, The Art of Neighboring. And so, as you can see, we are joining together with five other churches. And so, we are doing this as kingdom work, not just Erie First work or as our work. This is more than just us. This is five churches. Yes, that's worth clapping for. So we're excited about that. And I feel honored to be here today. So it's five churches with Grace and these other churches that are all coming together to unify across Erie County. Across Erie County as we come together to share this honor and this message of the art of neighboring. And I think it's something that we can all relate to. I mean, we're believing that God is going to work through this and unifying us as a church. How many think that we could be more impactful if as a church, as a community, as a kingdom, we came together and did his work, not just wondering what we can do? I think that could be powerful. So we're doing this. We're jumping together. We are going off of this book just real quick, The Art of Neighboring, which if you've been in one of our small groups, I know many of us churches are going through this book right now in our small groups preparing for this. And if you are wanting to get in on this, this is an excellent, excellent resource. We are selling it out in the lobby, $5, uh, if you want to follow along with that. The best resource about this is in a couple weeks, the author is going to be coming uh, here to Erie, and he's going to be joining us as we have a hands-on evangelism training, helping us to share our faith and to really come together as we look at this art of neighboring. And so the books are out there in the lobby. You can find those today from a service host, but we're going to be going and looking into it deeper today as we start this uh, series. So if you don't mind, let's just pray together to begin. God, we thank you so, so much for what you are doing and what you, God, have done already we pray that right now, this is the start of something amazing, God. That this is the start of something that is new. That as churches come together for your kingdom, Lord, I pray that as we see in 10 different locations, this one message preaching your kingdom, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And bless the patriots. Amen. Um, sorry. Uh, I forgot that in my prayer. Speaking about what divides us as neighborhoods, no. <laughs> so today we get to be talking about neighbors. Now, I think all of us at some point can relate and talk about the fact that we have 
neighbors, unless you are one of those people who is literally off the grid, out there, you're like, I haven't seen a neighbor in like 25 years, all right? But we'll be talking about how you can even relate to this. But we all have neighbors, and I can still to this day remember my childhood neighbors that I had growing up. Around us, we had three specific families because we lived on a corner that impacted my life. Across the street, we had the family that was most familiar, like my family. They had young kids. They were the kids that we would run around with. We'd go back and forth, house to house, and, you know, taking the helicopters that fall off the oak trees, sticking them into our faces so I looked all funny and things like that, and sleepovers and everything like that. And we, we grew a bond there. On the other side, I had another neighbor. He was a younger guy. He had another young family, a little bit younger kids, had the best car collection. I mean, he was English, and so not only did he have a good car collection, but then he had the English accent. He's like, hello, I'm not even going to do the English accent. But, <laughs> and we had them on the other side. And then just as much as we all realize the fact that our neighbors are as different as the houses they live in, that they don't come all in the same size, the same temperament, the same characteristics. Well, on the other side of our house, we had another neighbor, Clara, an elderly lady very, I was going to say sweet, but she was very nice. Um, and Clara was the kind of lady that was different than all the rest of us, which is fine. She would be out there cutting her yard with her scissors. Yes, on her hands and knees with her scissors. And then, you know, she would call the police on my brothers and I because we would be playing basketball out in the road. I'm sure it was just for our safety, um, even though there was barely anyone on that road. But she was very, very nice. She would pay us a dollar if she could touch our hair. And now that I'm older, yes, that does sound as creepy as it sounds. All right? But right there in my childhood, we had very distinct neighbors. We were surrounded by people that came and intertwined into our story, into our life, and changed how, even how, who I grew up with and the friendships I made to this day. And so either way, if you have neighbors that are next to you, if you have neighbors that are two miles down the road, and if you're two miles the way the crow flies, we can all say that we at some point have had a neighbor. And the question that we're looking at today is that who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor is the question that we want to ask, because can we truthfully answer that, that we know who they are? Do we really know the people that surround us? Do we know them more than just the, you know, American, good morning, Bob, <laughs> like the wave that we give them, or like the kind of nod, I mean, if, we're, if that's a good day. You know, other days we just drive right into our garages, we shut the door, and we get to go sit on the couch and watch a little bit of This Is Us or whatever you're watching, you know, we block the world out. But we ask that question, who is my neighbor? And do we know that? Well, we see that this question was asked a long time ago in a very, very common story that we read in the Bible, the story of the Good Samaritan. And so we're going to look at that again today. So if you have your Bibles, if you have God's word with you there, or you can find them in the pew, or it will be on the screen behind me, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And as we look at this passage, it's very familiar to us, but sometimes, though it's familiar to us, speaks to us in a new way when we read it again. 
And so we're going to read it together here. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? Well, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you have answered this correctly, Jesus replied. So do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper and told him to look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have had. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus said, go and do likewise. We read this here. And this is a very key passage that many of us are very familiar with. Many of us, even if we're not growing up in the church, many of the secular world will still talk about, I need to be a good Samaritan. We've got to reach out. And we use this story to talk about compassion, to talk about reaching out, to talk about loving. And I think today, as we look at this, we'll see key concepts that we can take from it to reapply to our lives. Because sometimes we hear a story so many times over and over and over again that we become callous to it, callous to the message, to what Jesus truly told us to say here. And so when we look at this, we see that the man started off with asking a question. Now, like any good man, or many of us know, he asked a question he already knew the answer to, all right? He asked the question, just like some of us do, honey, can I help with the dishes? We know the answer. Honey, should I have another donut? Now, that one could have two answers, depending. Most of us were like, yes, that's the course that's the answer. No, no, no. But... We often find ourselves asking questions we already know the answer to. And this is that where this man found it. He asked the question, does, how does one obtain eternal life? And he gets the answer from himself. They, Jesus puts it back on him, saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He got this answer because days before this, previously before this, we can read in Matthew, Jesus gave them the answer. Jesus gave them the answer in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37. And he ended it after saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind and soul and all of that. He ended it and everything that the prophets and the law, it all comes down and is combined into this. His exact words were, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Referring to love the Lord your God with all your soul, body, soul, and mind. If it all comes back to that, we realize that this becomes something very familiar to this Jewish man. 
Again, he knew the answer because also in Deuteronomy 6.5, we see that this began the tradition that a devout Jewish man would repeat this exact saying twice a day to show an overarching obligation of the individual that we are giving Christ our entire existence. So if he knew the answer, then we have to ask, why in the world did he ask the question? Well, he was leading him. He was setting Jesus up for really what was the burning question inside of him? The question that we've already asked today of who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? But he didn't ask this question out of compassion. When we look at this and when we just read it there, we look at it. He didn't ask this out of compassion. He wasn't looking at it going, Jesus, tell me who my neighbor is because I want to make sure that I reach everyone I'm supposed to reach. Oh, my goodness, Jesus, tell me. He's like, oh, I need to make sure that I truly meet the needs of everyone around me. Please, Jesus. It wasn't that compassion. No, he said right before it says, because he wanted to justify himself. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? If we look at the message version, it reads it, and looking for a loophole, he asked. How many times do we find ourselves trying to check the boxes on our religion? Who who is my neighbor? Tell me who it is. You know, even today in education, we see that sometimes like, I, I don't want to give a rubric or I don't want to give this because of the fact that I'm telling them exactly what I'm going to What do I need to get an A? What do I need to get the best grade? Or maybe you guys in the workforce, we go to our bosses and we say, boss, just tell me what's the bottom line? What do I need to do just to make it by? Have you guys ever met? I, to me, sometimes those people are a little kind of, you're like, That's really, you just want to make it by? And this leader of the law is what he's asking. He's saying, to justify myself, I just want to justify and to get eternal life. So today, before I could even talk about being a neighbor, I felt I needed to recognize this fact that the first thing we need to look at and understand is that we cannot justify our salvation. We cannot justify our salvation. When we're asking how to get eternal life, there's no point in asking or figuring out how many neighbors do I need to help? How many people do I need to really go talk to? What's the minimum amount of times I need to forgive? We see this throughout the Bible of people trying to find out what's the minimum amount I need to give. But the first part there is the justification that we're really looking for of love the Lord your God with all. Can you guys say that with how much of your heart? With with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. When we realize that it's not just a part, it's not just a minimum requirement, it's not just the status quo or bottom line, but when it's with all, we begin to understand that that is our justification because that all was already paid. Right there is justification. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus justified us. Jesus gave us his all so that we could give our all. It's just a matter of us accepting that sacrifice. We can preach the sermon here about neighbors. We can ask Jesus, but if we don't ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, it's just that requirement. It's living by the law, not by the relationship of loving God and going full-hearted all of Jesus. 
Our ticket, our justification is that all of those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's our justification. And when we understand that love, when we understand the love of God with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind, that's when we learn how to love. You see, Jesus said, or the Bible says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. So whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he who has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So then we ask the question of what is stopping us? If we have done that, if we've received our justification, if we've received sanctification through Jesus Christ because we've accepted the sacrifice, then what stops us from giving that love? And as this verse says, loving our brothers, loving our sisters. And I think we see that here in this parable. And so when we look at the parable, I'm going to look at the need, the problem, and then the solution. So let's look at the need here. Who is our neighbor and what do they need? I think there's two, times, there's two types of questions. We look at this and say, who is my neighbor? Well, we can look at who is physically my neighbor. And then we could know our neighbor, who they are physically, but then ask the question of really who are they? Do we know them on a personal level? The official definition of neighbor is the person living next door to the speaker or the person referred to. However, I think Jesus stretches that definition in this parable here. He stretches that definition because let's look at this. We read it and we see that the priest came along, coming down, walking down the road. What's he do? Goes to the other side of the road. We see the Levite comes down and sees this man. And what's he do? Goes to the other side of the road. It was then that the Samaritan came down. Now, this would not normally, they would not normally have crossed paths. If we look at the Bible and we look at the history of the time, Jews were notoriously, for they will add days to a journey to go completely and utterly around Samaria because they do not want to get their hands dirty dealing with those types of people. They don't want to mess with them. They don't want to talk with them. In studies, you can see that even sometimes they refer that for a Samaritan woman was less valuable to them than the Jewish donkey. They didn't hold value there with the Samaritans. They didn't even like them. They didn't like each other. And so Jesus here is saying that the Samaritan saw the man and stopped. So him saying this, shaking the very foundation of what they were believing. It wasn't the people who were physically close to them, the priests and the Levites, the people who maybe lived down the road, who were in their city, who were in their community that helped them. It was the person that they would least expect that they wouldn't normally come in contact with. So our neighbors, when we ask this question, who is our neighbor? Who are we supposed to show this to? Who is Jesus telling us? I believe that he's really saying that it's anyone who is placed in your path. That your neighbor is anyone who is placed within your path. That as you go every day, as you are moving and as you are going to work to and fro, as you are coming home. So it's not just the physical people, because it's them. But it's also who do you come in contact with? Who is in your path? Because we are not bound by law or religion, but we are called to a relationship. We're not called to only care for the needs of those people who we find like us. Don't just bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, but bless those who curse you. 
We're called to love, like 1 John says, with an unabated passion, loving them like Jesus loved us. And when we do that, we pray and we say the prayers, God, open my eyes to the needs of the people who are around me. And I think this is one of the things that I, when I read this and I looked at the opportunities, I think we often, that the need, I think often the needs we try to keep out are the ones where God tells us to reach out. You see, the needs around us that we often try to keep out of our lives, that we try, are often the ones that God's saying, reach out to that person. Reach out to that person. What you're trying to keep out and you say, oh, that's just too much. I need to protect myself. I need to protect, you know, there's a place for that. But then also God says, reach out. The pain and the need that often compels us to close our doors is what God is saying to call us to open them in the first place. We're not, I said, are we not supposed to be like Christ? Because Christ himself said in Mark 2.17, it is not for the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call on sinners. We're called to see the need and to reach out to them. You see, not at arm's length. This image came to mind when I was thinking about this. I was thinking of like arm's length and everything. Um, I grew up with the show, um, the Tool Man Taylor, right? You know, Tool Time and everything. Wilson, right? Now, metaphorically, I kind of think that sometimes we're the Wilson. Now, Wilson was a great neighbor, always giving advice and, you know, helping them out when they needed it. But if you ever watched the show or are familiar with it, he never showed his full face. Always half of it. I mean, very, like, behind faces, behind fences, all along the way. They always showed. And how much do we, are we like that with our neighbors? Never fully showing them fully who we are, our full face. You know, we wave, we nod giving them half, but are we really trying to protect ourselves and only showing half of who we are? Are we trying to create a system where if I just give them this half, that, that way they know I'm here, but they got some issues. And you know what? That's, I just don't know if I can deal with that right now. Well, that brings us to the problem. I think the problem and the biggest problems that we struggle with is the giving of our time. When we look and we ask the question of who is our neighbor, we see here in this parable that the priest and the Levite, they saw the man, they crossed to the other side of the road. It wasn't that they didn't see him. You know, it says right there, both times he saw the man and move to the other side. So many times for us, when we're making that prayer and we're saying the prayer, God, open my eyes to the troubles that are around me. Sometimes we open an eye and we go, well, just not that one. Or God, show me the problems and the needs of my neighbors. Ooh, that's expensive. Give me another one. A little cheaper, $10, God. It's like a white elephant gift exchange. All right? We put limitations on it. We start saying, God, show me the problems. Show me the needs. And then we begin to say, but only in my terms. Only in my terms. And one of them is, God, show me the needs, but my time is really busy. So make it quick. It's something that I can just like kind of, maybe, maybe it's just I can just throw some money at it. But sometimes it costs a sacrifice of ourselves. You see, a Good Samaritan test was done by a college campus. So social psychologists 
John Darley and Daniel Batson wanted to know why people help some, why people help in some situations but not others. So they decided to do a college study on a college campus. I believe this was done on Stafford University. Stafford University. The researchers asked 67 students to deliver a speech, and the researchers then randomly assigned the students to one or two conditions. And the first one was that it was a hurried condition, so that the student would come and the research assistant would stop giving the speech instructions and say, oh my goodness, you're late. Now you, they're expecting you only a few minutes ago, so you better get moving now. And, in a hur- and then in the unhurried condition, the research assistant ended the instructions with, it's going to be a few minutes, you've got time, they'll be ready for you, um, but just why don't you go ahead and head on over to the other side of campus where you'll give the speech. Two different conditions, hurried and unhurried. Well, as each student walked alone to the building where they were going to deliver the speech, on the way, the students encountered a man slumped in a doorway with his eyes closed, coughing, moaning, and clearly in distress. From afar, researchers watched. Would the students stop to help the stranger in need? Here's the statistics to it. Darley and Batson found that only 10% of the students who were hurried stopped to help the man. But in comparison, those who were unhurried, 63% of the participants in the unhurried stopped. I still wish that percentage was higher. That's just only half of the people, only just a little bit more than half of the people saw someone clearly in distress and stopped. So I would pray and hope that if we did this here, we would have at least 80, 90 95% help. But when we look at this study, the crazy part about it, here's even the biggest part of it, that these students were a part of the seminary school, studying to be in the ministry. It gets even better. Not only were they in seminary school, but the speech they were supposed to give was actually a sermon. And they were given a topic for that sermon. Anyone want to guess what that topic was? The Good Samaritan. So the time, the hurriedness of them, so could even do this. In other words, being busy can lead even a seminary ministry student with the Good Samaritan on their mind to pass by someone in need. You could have it on your mind. You could be ready. You could be thinking about it. And you could say, I don't have time for that right now. It doesn't fit my schedule. It doesn't fit my resources and pass it by. See, we live in a time and culture that is busy. I think we can all agree on that. Some of us even will wear badges of how busy we are. I have 25 kids, and they're each playing three sports. You know, and I saw my wife three weeks ago, I think. No. We wear this as a badge. We use our garage door openers to get in and get out quick, quickly because, oh my goodness, our five-minute time at home might be interrupted if I see Joe or Bob next door and have to say hi. You know, but he's a really good guy. and His wife is great. Um, Mary. I mean, Martha. I mean, Margaret. I mean, uh, whatever her name is. You know. And we find out the fact that our time is one of our biggest commodities that we're unwilling to separate with. And this is the problem to address the problem of really knowing who is our neighbor. Because we can find ways to fix the problems a lot easier that don't require as much time from us. 
You see, that yard across the street is full of knee-high weeds. You know the husband just got laid off of work, and, but you know what? It's a lot easier to call code enforcement. You know, local government, they should be able to help out with this. That'd be quicker. Or the family a couple of doors down with several kids. It's clear that none of them speak English. And you know what? I'm pretty sure I've seen those kids running around. They're not even in school. We should call the school district. You know, they'll be able to, they'll know exactly what to do here. You see, we can see the problems. We can see the world around us. But until we take the time to reach out rather than keep out, we're not going to fulfill the mission that God gave us to give. So I ask you, what problems do you see? And how can you be the solution? So let's look at the solution here. What if things could be different? This book, this process, this calling of the churches coming together here in Erie, it all started, if you read this, it started with men and pastors coming together saying, how can we impact our community the best way? How can we impact our community the most? And someone made it simply said, we just need people to be good neighbors. So how can we do what God's called us to do is we can see the need and take the time to get to know the people that are around us, to see that they aren't so menacing at all, that they are actually perhaps even similar to us in ways that we didn't realize, that they also put their pants on one leg at a time, and that they're looking for a place to belong. Many of them are hurting and looking for someone just to hear and to tell them that there's a better way and that there's someone who loves them. You see, it's time for us to tear down the barriers that we've placed up. Stop hiding behind our doors, our garage doors, our fences, and praying for God to give us opportunities, but then realizing the fact that every single day could be an opportunity. Every single day, we can see that there's more chances that if we're in constant contact with them. As a teacher, as an educator, one of the things that I have lived by, as one of the things that even in my spiritual life, one of the things that I have held onto was the saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So if you're there and you are praying and you're asking God for chances, for opportunities, but yet every single day you kind of snuff our neighbors or they see us and at work, we never truly reach out. We never seem to be really truthfully caring then how much are they going to care when you say, I do know a better way, a God who loves you, and I'm a Christian, and they would be like, really? You are? How many of us take the time to address the problem and reach out? Today, the band is going to be playing a song here in a moment. During the song, I want us to think, Like I said, how we can become calloused. We can see things over and over and over again. And this song is called Speak, praying, God, speak to me. Tell me, God. So what's our prayer today? Is that while the band prays, or while the band plays, you pray and say, God, which neighbor do I need to reach out to? Who do I need to talk to? Again, it might be your physical neighbors, or it could be someone that God has just placed in your path. And who, what are you going to do? So as the band plays here, 
Who have you closed a door on? And who have you walked past? Who's God telling you to reach out to? Speak to me, let my heart 
surrender you see God has already spoken to you we believe that God's word is for us it's living and breathing and at the very end of this story he told the man what to do and he tells us what to do he says go and do likewise to show mercy to love our neighbors so today we want to give you some practical steps to that some practical steps that we can take because we know that there are people who are hurting around us and we have the answer. In chapel just two weeks ago, we used an example here of a goldfish. And it was traumatizing for some of the kids because I took the goldfish out of the water and I put it on the counter. As they began to scream, one of the students ran up and put the goldfish back in the water. We asked her, why did you do that? Because that was bad. They were going to die if I didn't do that. She showed compassion. Yeah, every day. They they did that for a goldfish, but as I brought it back in and as I bring it to you today, every day we come in contact with people who we know are dying. Spiritually, emotionally, some physically. So the fact is, if we are so drawn that when we see something that is in pain, that is dying, to reach out for then why are we not doing it with the others that are around us? So we want to challenge you that in this series, surrender. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out of what you normally do. If you don't know your neighbors, if you're not familiar with them, we are going to give you the easiest way to reach out to them, to be at least the, the opening, the start of it. Today, when everyone leaves, you're going to get one of the cards, an invite to one of these locations. All the locations are. There's nine different locations. So if they're closer and they say, you know what, I connect more with that church, great. Go there. If they connect with you and you say, you can sit with me, bring them here. But I challenge you this week, don't wait three weeks, don't wait two weeks. This week, as you walk out, the service host will give you one of these. Give it to them. Tell them to have a great day. Pray for them. And that's with your physical neighbors. Take more if you're going to get some of the neighbors across your path. And the second way that we can tangibly t- to put this message into work is that next Saturday is Serve Erie. Next Saturday is a Serve Erie event that's happening on the east side and west side. Sign up for that. Give your time. Begin to reach out and say, I will help. I will give. I will serve because God has a purpose and a plan. And I want to be a part of that. I end today just with the simple command that Jesus gave to go and do likewise. Show mercy. So as I pray, I'll pray and then we can go ahead and go. And as I said, service hosts are at the doors with the cards. Take some of those to give them out this week. And love your neighbors. Find out really, truly who they are. 
God, we love you and we serve you, God, and we just praise you and want to just do more of your will. So, God, I pray that as we unite as churches, as we unite for your kingdom, God, I pray that your glory would just fall. I pray that in people's front yards, people would begin to feel the love of Christ. I pray that on the sidewalks, I pray that on the streets, I pray that in the offices, as we begin to say, you know what, God, I don't care what my reputation, if it would get hurt by this, because I'm full in and full out, God, for you. So I just pray right now that we would go and do likewise in giving of ourselves to know who our neighbors and to love them, God. We love you and we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed Sunday and a blessed week, all right? And we'll see you back here next Sunday with your neighbors next to you.